You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ family of churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. All right. Hey, everybody. It's good to see everybody. I was just scrolling through the names. I felt like crying uh, just seeing uh, all the different names and people uh, that we went to church with for years. Uh, we miss you guys. And you never know. He may uh, end up back in your neighborhood sometime in the future. But uh, thank you, Ken, for uh, asking me to share tonight. And um, hopefully um, <laughs> hopefully, the things that we talk about uh, will be uh, helpful to you and, and the discussions and great things that I hear you guys are doing uh, in the West Side Church. Um, so tonight I was asked to talk about empathy. And do you have my slide there, bro? And I understand the theme scripture you guys are using is from 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verses 12 through uh, 14, which is the uh, passage of scripture that talks about, I believe, uh, one body, many parts. And if if one of our goals is to have equal concern uh, for the parts. Um, we need to have a way of, of, of knowing each other. Uh, and I'd say probably different groups probably have different challenges. Um, like, for example, one of the things that we're dealing with up here in Seattle, um, it's a much less diverse place um, than I'm used to from L.A., um, like, for example, um, I think a week after the uh, death of George Floyd, I got myself a uh, um, Justice for George, Black Lives Matter face mask. And, you know, as I went out into the community, to the stores or wherever, I think my hope was just to catch the eyes of a, a black person and kind of like, hey, you know, I'm behind you kind of thing. And I think like three weeks went by, I never ran into a single black person. And uh, I, I live in a small neighborhood, like 10 minutes outside of Seattle. Um, so it's different, I think. Um, and when you don't have the opportunity um, to have relationships uh, with people that are different than you, um, uh, empathy uh, can be something that's hard to achieve. Um, so anyways, what I thought I would talk about tonight is um, how to think about empathy, and then I have some different practicals um, that I think will help us uh, as we try to come up with answers uh, in the church that probably will always be uh, elusive to the world at large, because uh, we have the gospel um, we have the forgiveness of sins. We have a purpose um, for laying down our lives for each other. Um, let's look at the next slide here, and I'll sort of lay out what we're going to talk about. So so there's actually different kinds of empathy, um, and I think kind of breaking them down will be helpful for us to figure out where we're at and what the best kind that um, – that we can use to tackle some of the things that are going on in the world and that may be affecting us uh, in the church. So I'm going to be co- talking about three different kinds of empathy. Um, we got cognitive empathy, emotional empathy, and compassionate empathy. And I'm going to spend a couple minutes just kind of explaining um, each one and uh, their uses and kind of the pros and cons of each one. Okay, so first of all, we got cognitive empathy, and I'll I'll just read my slide. It just says, uh, cognitive empathy is basically being able to put yourself into someone else's place, see their perspective. Um, Effectively, it's empathy by thought um, rather than by feeling. Um, I don't know. Let me move this. Um, Oh, this would be considered kind of an under-emotional empathy. Um, 
some of the pros of cognitive empathy are um, they're useful, particularly for negotiations, and that it can, you can put yourself in someone else's shoes without necessarily engaging their emotions um, to find purely logical solutions to problems. So you probably would see, like, corporations uh, that want to do a merger might use cognitive empathy. And, you know, if the tally sheets line up and it makes sense for us to merge, then, you know, we have a deal. Um, so it's very sort of devoid of emotion. And the goal isn't um, isn't connection. Um, so that would be one of the cons. It's, it's not the goal of this kind of empathy. Uh, and, for example, um, you know, people that torture other people for information need to have good cognitive empathy to work out best how to hurt someone. Um, or, or maybe a lesser version, as we see this uh, all, the, all the time in modern-day politics, is a political party will just pick something that people care about, and then they'll uh, manipulate the narrative um, along a particular view um, to get an emotional reaction about the thing that that person cares about. So um, this kind of empathy can actually uh, be used in a destructive way. Um, and it, it's probably, like, as a basic explanation, like in some of our conversations up here, like um, like a term will come up, like, oh, you know, all lives matter, which um, – and in the context of the conversation is we might be talking about social unrest or um, what the black community is going through or what our black church members are going through. And the problem with cognitive empathy in a situation like that is while saying something like all lives matter is functionally true, um, it's super insensitive uh, in a context uh, where a person may be sharing the lament of a present situation that taps into uh, years of their lifetime and maybe generations um, of their culture uh, dealing with pain. Um, so it can be a functionally correct thing to say, but highly hurtful uh, and insensitive um, in the wrong context. So... For that kind of uh, conversation, we want to stay away from cognitive empathy. All right, so the next one is kind of the opposite. Um, this is emotional empathy. Um, emotional empathy is when you quite literally feel the other person's emotions alongside them. It's almost as if you've uh, caught the other person's emotions. It's closer to what we think of when we think of the word empathy, but it's more emotional, or we might want to think of it as over-emotional. So some of the pros of this kind of empathy, um, it allows us to readily feel and understand other people's emotions. Um, this allows us to respond to friends and others when they're distressed. Um, cons can be that we can get overwhelmed by painful emotions, and therefore be kind of un unable to respond, or it can create, uh, this is probably where I live half my life, um, it can create burnout and compassion fatigue. So our, our souls have limits and what we can take in and handle. Um, and sometimes what happens in uh, emotional conversations where this kind of empathy is employed is the person can get overwhelmed and then they get thrown into cognitive empathy. And sometimes you'll see in groups or in discussions amongst individuals kind of a back and forth um, between these two kinds of empathy. Uh, sorry, my Sam. Hey, Sam. <laughs> Um, okay, so uh, we don't want to get um, burnt out by empathy either. And I'm going to discuss in a, in a minute or so um, kind of some practicals on how we can kind of balance this stuff. All right, uh, let's look at the last um, type of empathy. This is called compassionate empathy, and I think we can find 
tons of examples in the Bible of this. I'm just going to read this scripture. Uh, this is from Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 33. And I, I think we're all familiar with this story, or most of us are. But I'm going to read it anyways. And it simply reads, um, But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He, he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. So what we see here is a combination of feeling somebody's pain and taking action. And that's the kind of empathy that we want to focus on uh, when we're tackling um, issues that need to bring us together and have equal concern uh, for each other as a body. All right, and here's a couple of practicals uh, in terms of finding balance. How do we make sure we're not in, in cognitive or not overly emotional? Um, so the first one is a general rule. Um, people who want or need your empathy don't just need you to understand, which is cognitive empathy, and they don't need you to feel their pain when you get – they don't need to, you to feel their pain where, where you get so overwhelmed you make it about you which is emotional empathy. Like a popular term that's going around right now is uh, white fragility. But, you know, simply what that is, is, you know, when a black person is trying to share their pain and a white person or another person tries to relate to it um, through their own pain and then suddenly the conversation is all about them, um, uh, that would be an example uh, of, um, I, I think that's what they mean when they're talking about white fragility, is um, somehow you're taking the conversation away from the person that's, that's injured or uh, expressing pain, and you're making it about you, which can be hurtful. Um, instead, um, what the person needs is for you to understand and sympathize with what they're going through, and crucially, either take or help them take uh, action to resolve the problem. That, that was what we would call compassionate empathy. All right, and here's some examples that I'll try to share that um, hopefully illustrate this stuff. All right, so steps toward compassionate empathy. Um, step number one. Uh, choose to be in relationships where you can practice empathy. And I, I thought about this point, and I, I think I wish I wrote it differently. Um, I think I, I it probably I would say choose to be in relationships with people that are different than you um, is probably more what I was thinking. And the example that I would use is um, about five years ago, I was just looking for ways to um, – balance out my life and not be overloaded with emotional empathy. And I stumbled upon this golf group, and uh, the guys in it uh, happen to all be um, black guys in our church. And I, I, honestly, I, I didn't join the group to improve my uh, race relationships or anything like that. I, they were just fun, and I was looking for an outlet, um, you know, to have uh, fun on a regular basis. Um, but what I ended up getting from those friendships was so much more than uh, what I uh, anticipated. Um, I think I probably would have said prior to um, hanging out with those guys or joining that group that I had friend, uh, people that I was friendly with that were black. Um, but I think um, and hooking up with this group, um, these were guys that I would golf with every week or every other week. We'd go on trips together. We'd go out to eat together. We'd um, celebrate holidays, uh, gone to birthdays, funerals, um, kind of everything in between. And I think um, it was in the context of those relationships where we had talks um, that influenced me. And it was nothing specific, um, 
we would just be going along. A lot of times we were at like night, nice golf clubs that were largely white. And they would say little things to me like, Hey Mike, you know, have you ever gotten in an elevator and had a woman grab her purse more tightly? And I'm like, uh, no, yeah, no, no, that, that's never happened to me before. Or, uh, I remember one time we were, uh, we were golfing up on the, um, coast of Oregon. We went to this fancy golf place and I, I think the whole weekend, maybe we saw one other black guy and we had just golfed like 36 holes and we were sitting somewhere watching the sun, sun go down. And as often we did, we started telling stories. And I think that night we were talking, um, we were telling stories about racism. Uh, they were sharing their experiences with it. And I was sharing my experiences participating in it. Um, and wherever the conversation led, I remember feeling bad. And at the end, I think I said to one of them, um, I think it was Tony Scott. The, the group was Tony Scott, uh, Anthony Johnson, and uh, Chidi and Juku, um, and Joku, all guys that uh, have been in the West at different times. And I remember, I think it was Tony turned to me and he said, you know, Mike, what we need from you is just don't act like it's not there. You could just do that. <laughs> you know, that would help. And I remember we went to the restaurant at that golf resort. Uh, maybe it was later that night or the next day. And the whole restaurant was pretty open. There was like maybe two groups of tables covered and the rest were empty. And they turned us away saying, there, you know, there was no room. And my response was like, oh, you know, the other tables must be reserved. Um, and I looked at our group and they were shaking their heads. They were like, Mike, that's not why we got turned away. And I think, uh, you know, what I learned just from the context of my uh, interactions, um, you know, it's just not to act like it wasn't there or at least be open um, that it was there. And um, I think uh, I'll share a little bit later, and I've got a video that I'm going to share with the whole uh, church that details these experiences a little bit more. But that's what I mean um, by choosing relationships um, that can influence you. Um, step number two is um, what I uh, it would be set boundaries around your personal limits while keeping your focus other-centered. Um, so what I'm talking about here, um, there's this concept, I call it the God complex, um, but I think sometimes when I happen on a situation that's not right or where a lot of pain is generated, I, maybe it's my natural instinct as a human being is just to make it go away. And I think one of the things I I tell myself a lot of times is, you know, I'm not God. Um, I can't make racism go away. I can't, you know, uh, get everybody to think the way that I think. Um, and if I try, um, I'm going to quickly get burned out and discouraged. Um, so I've got to sort of set some parameters and, and what I can do uh, and obviously leave room for God to work. I think the other part of it, um, and I say this carefully because I think um, when a person's in pain, um, it's hard to um, be patient and forbearing when people are slow to get what you're saying. Um, but I'll, I'll, let me read this scripture, and I'll explain this a little bit more. This I don't have this on the slide, but Ephesians 4.2 just says, be completely humble and gentle, bearing with one another in love. And I think sometimes what happens, um, like, for example, um, I really like the macro concepts that are going around right now, like uh, white fragility and white male privilege and systemic racism. Uh, I think those are very helpful concepts. Uh, and they help me as a white person and kind of understand what's going on and where I might fit into it and, you know, potentially what I can do to, to change that. Um, but what I would say where, um, 
these macro ideas or, or labels um, have their limits. And I think when it comes to one-to-one discussions or trying to work something out with some person, I would just say in, in general – Labels can really create some obstacles. Like, you know, we really got some conflict right now up here in Seattle where people are just taking issue um, with, you know, being told that they're, you know, being white fragile or, or those kind of things. And here's the problem with labels. Um, they do two things. Like, so, for example, I'm having a conversation with my wife and she says to me, well, Mike, you're just saying that from your white male privilege. Um, it, it does two things to me. One, it makes me defensive because <laughs> I, I know I did something wrong, but I'm not really sure what it is. Uh, I've, you know, now I've got to carry, uh, um, you know, this um, this category that I'm not really sure how to get out of. And yeah, and that's the second part. It doesn't really kind of give me an opportunity to understand what I did or um, kind of the room to change. And it's a lot harder, what I've found in some of these discussions, because um, as people are trying to share their pain and try to get ideas out and they don't feel listened to, they kind of all notch it up a little bit with a label. And instead of um, making that go easier, sort of things polarize more. And I think what's really hard to do is just be more vulnerable or more humble uh, and forbearing in those conversations and say things like, you know, Mike, uh, when you say things like that, uh, it makes me feel like you're not listening. Um, you're comparing your pain with my pain in a totally different category. And I feel uh, unheard and unloved by your comments. Um, that's probably to get a lot farther um, in creating a connection um, than just um, trying to, I mean, and I'm not against, um, I think these books and these ideas are good. They just have their limits, I think, when we're trying to get down to the connection level, if that makes sense. Um, and then the last thing I would say is take action. And, and I'll read one more scripture. Um, this is from James chapter 2, another one that I'm sure we're familiar with, um, but I'll read it anyways. And the scripture reads, um, verse 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food, If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, does nothing about their physical needs, uh, what good is it? And I would say, you know, if your brother or sister comes to you with emotional pain and, you know, do nothing about it, uh, what good is it? Um, So we need to to have some kind of action uh, that accompanies um, our, our sitting with each other in pain. So I just wanted to share a couple of examples um, recently from my life that, you know, I've tried to do uh, to take action. And you guys can see this picture of a a tattoo. Uh, That's my tattoo. And that's a whole other story in class on uh, maybe things that you shouldn't do when you're going through (laughs) emotional things is – just bottle it all up into tattoos, but that's not why I have that picture here. Uh, when COVID first hit and, you know, all the reports of people losing their jobs and people not having ways of paying rent and making money, um, I definitely went into emotional empathy. I just thought it was overwhelming, just the sheer magnitude of what people could be going through. And I think the temptation was to just shut down and do nothing or, or run down to Target and buy up all the toilet paper or whatever. Um, and I think it was just kind of a desperation, like, you know, feeling helpless. And I remember there's a guy I've been reaching out to up here in Seattle, a tattoo artist. The guy's name is Connor. Really good guy. Uh, has his own shop. Um, is open to spiritual things. You know, when you're getting a tattoo, you have a long time to sit and 
talk with somebody. So, you know, whenever I have gone up there, I've tried to share the gospel with this guy. And I know he's married. He's got little kids. And I know he wasn't working um, when the COVID shutdown happened. And so my example of action there was like, look, I, I know I couldn't do any, everything for everybody, but I could do something for him. And I knew the guy. He's a guy of honor. Like, I knew he wasn't just going to take money from me. So I booked a fake tattoo appointment, and I just told him, look, I don't know when you're going to get back to work, but here, let me put a deposit. And, you know, and I gave him, like, ten times more than you would normally give, give to reserve a tattoo. And, honestly, I don't need any more tattoos or, or want one. But it was just my way of, you know, uh, getting this guy some money. And it didn't fix his problem, and you know maybe I gave him a better couple of weeks or something like that, but it was doing something. Um, the other thing that I did similarly, I think when um, George Floyd was murdered and you know everything was going on, um, yeah, honestly, I thought about my friends um, and how they were feeling, and I think there was different times I imagined like what if one of my friends was held down by the police and killed that way. Uh, and same thing. I, you know, I think I didn't know what to do and, you know, uh, shut down or whatever. And we had so many stories and I, I heard so many things from my golfing friends. I decided, you know, I got to do something. So I called them all up and I convinced them to record these short videos. Um, and I figured it was too hard to explain like to the white people up here in Seattle, um, that I thought part of the answers to coming together was just uh, having friendships, um, you know, with people that aren't like you, um, which is kind of hard to explain or impart um, in a lecture. So I thought it would be easier to describe in a, an experiential video. So uh, I, Kenny is going to put um, this YouTube link up in the chat. But basically, um, it's kind of um, our friendship in golf, and you'll get some funny stories um, uh, shared by the different brothers that I golf with. But it's my effort to try to impart um, how we, how they taught me through our friendship, and then each of them um, has a personal testimony and experiences that they've had with racial injustice. Um, and I, I think if you take the time to watch the video, many of you know these guys. Uh, I'm sure uh, you already respect and love them. But uh, I think when you see the, the things that they've been through and dealt with and how they've responded, uh, you know, it, it's really inspiring. So um, the video is too long to show during this presentation, but I just wanted to use it as an example of, uh, again, I, I think the problem could be overwhelming, but I could do something. And, you know, not that this is the only thing I'm going to do, but uh, that would be an example of um, I, I'm going to let my uh, empathy driving me toward doing something, in this case, to uh, stand up against uh, racial injustice. And I know many of you are doing the same thing. Um, uh, and I think that's it. I forget what else I have on my slide. Oh, okay. And with that, um, I just created some discussion questions. I, I think uh, I know just me babbling on all night is going to reach its limit. Um, uh, I used these discussion questions last week with the Seattle Church, and um, the goal was just to help you dig in and kind of consider where you're at on the empathy scale and maybe considering um, sort of um, how to kind of move forward. So the first question uh, that I'll throw out to the church is, uh, what makes you vulnerable to cognitive empathy when the situation requires more? And, and I was hoping we could get a couple people to share um, just to get some examples and things to think about.
All right. If you are, if you want to share or respond to the question, just raise your hand and Rachel will spotlight you. So I think we got one, Rachel. Can you turn on your video, Asia? So no. I can and let someone else share, uh, share. I'm not in position to turn on my video. Got it. You can go ahead and share then in response. Okay. Um, um, my, mine, um, it goes more into me getting too involved. So it's almost like the cognitive, uh, the cognitive and the emotional that, um, makes me turn uh, cognitive. I, I think what I'm learning above everything is that even when I think somebody's not treating me properly or I'm not getting the response, I think I need, I think that's when I need to get um, uh, compassionate or um, more, more concerned for the person, you know, as opposed to me being all in it. I don't know if that exactly answers the question, but um, yeah. Anyway, thank you. No, I think that's that definitely answers the question. Like not getting the response that you want can throw you into emotional cognitive, which yeah. happens a lot in disagreements or when people are obtuse. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm Mike. So excited to see you. You guys are very much loved over here, and we miss you guys. Um, so grateful for uh, your vulnerability. And then I, I think the one thing that I might take away is um, that the action step could be something as as vulnerable as saying what can't, what would make you feel supported? Um, because I think a lot of us really don't know how to do that. And I think just saying, Hey, I hear your pain. What can I say? What can I do for that action step? Cause sometimes I think we don't know what to do. I mean, you were courageous. You had a lot of friends. You went and made this YouTube video, but some of us don't have much of a social media presence and we're not sure. So I think that was a really helpful tip. Really appreciate you. Miss you guys tons. Thanks. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I think just making yourself available uh, for that person's request is a good step. Um, well, I just want to thank you, Mike, just for the, the lesson you gave, the vulnerability, the experiences you got to share with us. Uh, it really, you know, really gets me thinking about a lot of different things. And uh, answering the question about cognitive, cognitive uh, empathy, I feel like I can fall into that really easily because I process things very logically. I, I don't, you know, understanding how people are feeling and where they're coming from, that's more difficult for me because I'd be like, okay, hey, everything has to have a reason. You're feeling this because of this. And, you know, as you were saying, that that's not what people need. People don't need me to understand exactly what they're thinking and why they're thinking it. Because I've become so obsessed with, the like, why are you thinking this? I take out the whole reason why they're telling me that they're being open. They need me to listen. They need me to care. And at, when it comes to that, it becomes more about me understanding you as opposed to me trying to, you know, just be with you. Me trying to, you know, do what I can to help you get through this. And so... It, you know, it really, it draws a lot of questions in my, my own mind. Like, geez, have I done this before? And people, like, not realized it. And so I just want to thank you again so much just because uh, it really got a lot of questions going. It really, uh, it's going to help me just with, you know, empathizing with people a lot more. So. Amen. Hey, <laughs> What's up, man? brother? Thanks, <laughs> man. I appreciate it. It's an alternate from our golf group. <laughs> well, I hope you have um, empathy for my golf game. <laughs> Man, nobody can hit as far as you. <laughs> well, Mike, I want to say thank you tremendously. Um, thank you for everything you've said about stepping up. And, you know, I think that today, I guess one of the bigger questions that I would have is, what is it that we're going to be facing a lot more of during this time and being more um, empathetic and compassion where no one feels alienated. 
like you're saying, what do we need to go through to get to that point where everybody feels like we're on equal footing? Yes. I'm going to hear me. Sorry, bad. Yes, Mike. Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, I think, you know, as somebody that listens to people's story for a living, what I would say about the nature of evil and how uh, it affects even like listening to somebody's story, um, I think what happens is, uh, you know, I, I'll just sit and talk for myself. I think listening to stories about injustice, abuse, uh, I think it really does hurt my soul. Like it, it, it like uh, I feel the pain uh, when it's depicted, like on TV, seeing that man die you know, under that cop or, or just listening to someone like if you guys, you know, watch the YouTube video of uh, our golf friends. Um, and I, I think the biggest obstacle that I've observed, and, and maybe this is where the gospel and, and, you know, the Jesus movement comes in because, I do think there has to be a willingness um, to consider the cross or even like Paul talks about filling up with the suffering of what's lacking. And um, he sort of alludes that like part of our role as brothers and sisters is that we need to be, you know, willing to get up on the cross for each other. And I think sometimes that means filling up um, with each other's pain. And because I, I don't think people don't move through injury and injustice until they've um, expressed their outrage and vented their grief, and people don't do that outside a relationship. And if we can't do that in the church, um, it's gonna—I don't see how we could come together uh, as one. But I think it does mean. Um, doing that. So I, I don't know if that answers your question. It does. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. Love you, man. Love you too, brother. Uh, do, oh, do we want to take a shot at this other question, Kenny, or um, uh, all the questions are in the chat, Mike. So. Oh. Your hands and that was oh, oh, okay, got it. We have Karen, I think Karen Shaw, Rachel. Then, yeah, do you want to turn on your video, Karen? Or, oh. hi, hi, Mike, good to see you. Hey, good to see you. I know we share our love for everything Imago, which you know is obviously an approach where. You know, based on the belief that what you encounter is also what you need. So can you share your thoughts on how kind of God puts people on our path that we need to have empathy with? But really it's also for our personal growth. Can you say that last part again? I just echoed a little bit. Sorry. How God puts people on our path, well, obviously that we have empathy with them, but how it's actually also part of our personal growth journey. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's like the whole Imago idea yeah. of, you know, we are drawn to people who help us heal, at, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. Um, yeah. If you watch my YouTube video, you'll laugh because... All the first segments of it are um, my friends making fun of me. And, it, you know, it's good-hearted fun, but, I mean, the truth was um, I felt like I got, like, five years of discipleship on selfishness. And um, I think the unique experience of golfing with three black guys, um, I don't know, like, when they talk about white centrism and white privilege and things like that. Um, I think if somebody just said that to me at face value, I might be offended because it would be hard for me to see. I don't really have a context or 
like a, um, a laboratory on how to look at it. But I can't tell you how many times it would come up when we were just hanging out and doing stuff. Like, there he goes again, you know, uh, Mike putting himself first and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and uh, yeah, I think, um, I, yeah, I really, to become more fully <laughs> what I could be as a human being, uh, I really needed to be around guys that had been through the things that they'd been through to help me with that. And I think if it hadn't it hadn't occurred in the context of friendship, I would have never got it. So I don't I think I don't know if that answers your question, Karen, but I, I, I think you're right. I think um we get what we need and um <laughs> you'll see some good examples of it if you watch that video. Awesome. Um, well, we we have more time for questions, but how about we get some questions from people who don't normally ask? Let's get some new people to ask new questions. Love to hear from you. And I'm still receiving questions from people privately to ask you, Mike. So I'll I'll wait for people to respond to some more of these questions that you pose, and then we'll get into some more Q and A. So I think some people raised their hands. So uh, Rachel, you got it. And okay. you raised your hand. Hello, me? Yeah. I did. Hey, Mike, I wanted to ask you this because I've always, you know, to follow up Newbie's question, um, I've always thought about the scriptures as, you know, because we're in the ministry, all of us, right? We're listening to people and we're, you know, we care and we, we want to figure out how to help. It says that, you know, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin in Galatians 5, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch, watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. You know, what do you think that means? Like, what? How do you read that passage as a therapist, as someone who's, you know, what does that mean to watch yourself? What is the What is the Bible trying to say? Well, it, it could be saying a lot of things, but one of the things that comes to mind is that scripture that says um, knowledge. Uh, puffs up, but love builds up. And I think, you know, sometimes through God's grace, I get some new understanding or some new insight into myself, or I read a book that makes me a little more woke or whatever. Um, and, and then I'll come across somebody that doesn't see it that way or they're not ready for that idea. And, yeah, the temptation, I guess, is to get really mad and frustrated and think that it, there is something so great about me that I came to this understanding. And then I go and um, judge and, you know, get angry with this other person um, instead of understanding, like, you know, that person's on their own path. And I may not be the person that wins them over. Maybe I'm just, you know, one of many that sends them toward the tipping point. But I think what it says to me is, um, yeah, I can't jump up in the God seat. And, uh, you know, like if, if this church, uh, its, its future of race relations is dependent on me and this conversation, then we're all in trouble. Is the, the principle I try to look at. Um, and, um, so I don't know. I just think sometimes, uh, I'll speak for myself. Um, I just get prideful when I figure something out and I expect everyone else to share my great wisdom and, you know, and then sometimes I'm just wrong anyway. I mean, so, uh, but I think I, I see that a lot and I, I do that a lot, uh, and it's not helpful. Rashida, right. did you want to turn on your video? Oh, okay. Yes. Can you guys see me now? Hey. Hello. Hi. Hey, friend. So good to see you. 
Um, thank you. I wanted to answer question two. What factors make you vulnerable to being overwhelmed by emotional empathy? And, of course, you helped me out years ago um, when I was a younger teacher. And I know for me what makes me vulnerable to being overwhelmed is just being bombarded with um, multiple requests. Like, there are so many people that are in pain that need help that I end up burning out or having compassion fatigue. And, um, of course, constant news, you know, listening to the news and you hear all this terrible stuff every single day. And really the what, what it goes down to is me not setting proper limits. And so I'm trying to take on, I'm basically being a caretaker and trying to do what only God can do instead of what I can do. And so I want to let you know I'm at a new job. So it's going to be a little bit different, but I know I still need to make sure I set proper limits and continue to practice doing that. Amen, sister. That's awesome. It's good to see you. Good to see you, too. Okay. Well, Rachel, we'll transition to the, um, the some of the Q&A. So, Mike, I got a question here. It's It reads... When is it needed for someone to point out a specific hardship, white fragility, etc.? And when it's needed or when is it needed to be more vulnerable in communicating that specific hurt? Wait, can you say that, uh, read the question again? Yeah, I'll also post in the chat too. But it says, when is it needed for someone to point out a specific hardship, like white fragility? Uh-huh. And when is it needed to be more vulnerable in communicating the specific hurt? Um, well, I think it's, I mean, in, in marriage counseling, we say the offended party gets to define the complaint. So I would say it's needed when you feel hurt by someone, either through um, commission or omission. Um, I think it's, you know, um, a conversation is needed, and then I think vulnerability is a good next step, although a more risky and painful step. And then I think if um, that's not successful, I think getting other people involved, like a Matthew 18 kind of situation, because I wouldn't recommend continuing to be vulnerable when somebody's continuing to be insensitive. It's probably not good for you emotionally or spiritually, um, you know, to take that track. And I'm not sure that the the Bible um, expects us to handle wrongs that way. And I'm open to being corrected by anyone if I got that wrong. But um, so I think it's the good initial, you know, sort of take it to the person, try to get them to listen, use vulnerability. And if that doesn't win them over, um, especially a big issue, um, yeah, it's it's not good to to drop. Like, uh, there's a sister in my family group who, um, what did she share with us recently? Her experience over the years in our church up here is like when things like George Floyd happen. There's very little discussion, very little sermons on it. Um, so the way she ends up feeling is, well, maybe it's not that important to this church, that kind of stuff. And if it's not that important, maybe I'm not that important. And I think, you know, not talking about that and not being heard on being made to feel like that, um, that's not a good idea. Um, I don't want to be part of a church where people are made to feel like they, they don't matter. And I don't care if we just have two black people in our conversation, you know, our congregation. That con- that conversation needs to happen. Awesome, great response. Thanks, Mike. Um, next question. This individual said, "I've had conversations where I've expressed a hurt to someone, and they've responded by crying. Based on your definition." This seems to fit into emotional empathy. 
What's a healthy way to respond to this problem? Oh, great question. Um, in, in counseling terms, we call it um, process content shift is the technique that you would use. But, you know, what's happening is, and, you know, I, I, I'm sorry I keep dropping this term, but uh, like a diversity uh, inclusion educator would say that's classic. If it's a conversation about racism and a person responded to that way, that would be like classic fragility. But essentially, it's taking the conversation away from the person's pain. And what a process content shift is, is you take the conversation away from what's being said to what's happening between you. So you might say something like, hey, brother, hey, sister, every time... I try to share with you my outrage instead of you delving in and joining with me on how I'm feeling, you start crying. And what that does is that takes the conversation away from what I'm talking about and onto your tears and sadness. And that makes me feel alone and unheard. But that would be an example of um, you take a step back from the conversation and you talk about what's happening between us right now. Or, hey, every time I try to share this, you get more intellectual. Instead of, you know, um, trying to understand where I'm coming from emotionally. But th- that's a pretty good technique um, to use when somebody um, kind of snatches, we call it like taking the conversation to their side of the bridge with emotionalism. And when people are being manipulative, they usually get angry or try to use sympathy when they're caught. Um, so, I, you know, I would try not to get mad or judgmental, but um, I would say <laughs> if you were making the complaint, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend budging and, and joining the emotionalism. Is that a clear answer? Yeah, that's great. I think it's hard in those situations to feel like you can do that. Uh, sometimes you're just overwhelmed with the emotion and you don't know what else to do, but that's really good feedback. Thanks, thanks for that answer. I mean, if it's done with grace and respect, I think, I mean, it tends to go over better. Mm-hmm. But that, that's my that's my favorite technique for that one. Cool. Awesome. Well, next question. Uh, Mike, what is the biggest difference between empathy and vulnerability? Um, well, vulnerability is um, what the sharer is doing. They're kind of bearing their soul and putting into words uh, the condition of their heart. Um, and they're talking from the I position. And then empathy is kind of the environment that the listener wants to provide where they're open, they're listening. Um, I, I don't know that we're called on to feel exactly what somebody else is feeling, but I think when somebody sees us stretch to try to be in their world, um, that registers as empathy, but so – Vulnerability is something you share, and empathy is something you give. Awesome. Uh, Straight up, pretty clear. Next question. And just FYI, we have time for a few more questions, so if you do have any, just send them to me and I will. Or just let me know you want to share, and then we'll spotlight you. Uh, Next question. As a disciple, I pray for God to break my heart for what breaks his. For what breaks his. Do you have a practical for avoiding compassion fatigue in our prayer lives? You know, honestly, um, I wouldn't say a strength of my spiritual life is being a prayer warrior. It's um, an area I need to grow. Um, so I'm, I'm probably not the best person at I get compassion fatigue from trying to take on too much myself. Um, so uh, maybe uh, there might be somebody else that could better answer that question. 
Uh, I guess I'm that person. Thanks for Come on, bro. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Um, can you have a response? What a disappointment, Mike. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think I think we all tend to be like that, right? I mean, that's what I meant by Galatians 6.1 is I get bitter. I get angry, you know, because I take on too much, and I just don't have the capacity to be like God, and I take it all on myself, and I get, you know, I get all messed up. Trying to, you know, like the seven sons of Sceva, right, who try to help these people, and they ran away beaten up and, you know, clothes, no clothes on. And Yeah, I, I, I just think that um, I, that's convicting, that we need to pray more, and we need to be, have a greater capacity, you know, for all these things that you're talking about, because by ourselves, we're so limited. Right. Yeah. I can speak a little to that as well. Um, think of the scripture in Matthew 5. It says, come to me all who are weary and burdened. I will give you souls. I will give you rest for your souls. Um, and just the idea that I think of going to God and praying to God, praying with God as that opportunity to find true rest through the struggles, the emotional turmoil that I'm going through. And personally, um, it's where I fight to have the comp- compassion needed, asking God to say, you know what, I don't, I'm not at a place where I can do this right now. I'm not at a place that I feel this, but I want to get there. Help me mm-hmm. get there. And simply by doing that, it always helps my heart get to a better place. Now, will I do it right away? Not often. Will I do it maybe down the road? Yeah, but it's that consistency in the wrestling through um, in prayer with God, knowing that this is where I'm truly finding rest, and that rest will allow me to go out then and have the compassion needed to love people the way that I need to love people. So that's my simple, simple response. Wow, that's, that's great, bro. Thank you for that. All right, so we have time for a few more questions. Um, um, let's see what we got here, what do we got here, what do we got here. Oh, we don't have any more questions. Any other questions, anyone? We have a lot of campus students that sent in questions. I'm not surprised. But if anyone else has any questions that they want to share, we would love, we would love to hear any other people. Hey, hey, Kenny, a question came through on the chat. Uh was asked, what's the difference between empathy and sympathy? Mm. Well, that's a... Hmm. Empathy and sympathy. I, you know, I'd have to think about it. I, I would guess that Sympathy could probably be a little bit more intellectual. Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. I don't, I don't know if those words are synonymous or. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. <laughs> we got we got an answer in the chat, Mike. Uh, that empathy is compassion with action, and sympathy mm. is compassion. With necessary, not without action. That seems, you know, it's more emotionally based, but maybe there's nothing behind it. I, it is, it's deep. I'm not really sure either. Yeah, that was my temptation um, to say it's more in your head, uh, but not necessarily. It's like agreement, like, oh, yeah, that's bad, or oh, yeah, that's really tough for you. You can do that without being involved. I mean, in the Greek, um, I mean, you know, the, the word sympathy starts with the sue, which is together. So maybe sympathy is something that we all feel together, whereas empathy is that you don't really experience the same thing, but you are trying to put yourself in that person's shoes without ever being in that position before. Hmm. I just made that up. What do you guys think? That sounded awesome. Greek word. You just said in the Greek. You didn't actually say the Greek word. I don't know. Well, Su, right? Sunago. Sunago. Together. Yeah. That makes sense. It does? Oh, great. Yeah, of course. 
I saw on here somebody asked for the video again, so I'm just putting the link in the chat again, the YouTube video. So if you look in the chat right now, you'll see the link to the – oh, wait, maybe I sent that to a FOMA, actually. Um, oh, I don't know how to put it in the – Mike, you want to put the video that you told me to put earlier? Yeah, I, I think your mom is asking to put it in the chat again. I can I can do that, no problem. All right. Well, we got time for one last question. If anyone is brave enough to be the, the final final person here. Oh, somebody put in the chat, uh, Brene Brown, about sympathy and empathy, and uh, you can watch a whole video on it. After 30 days. Whoops. Sorry, I'm watching it right now, you yeah. um, know. All right, we got a question. Mike, you ready for your last one? Yes, sir. Um, how do you respond when your white friends don't seem to care or respond um, to race issues? Um, well, I, I, obviously I'll have to answer this as a white person. Um, um, you know what I find is, and this is like big here because um, diversity is less, um, I've had discussions with people that I would consider good-hearted, good people that I would guess that their interaction level is kind of low, so they're more apt to say insensitive or inconsiderate things. So I would say I look for opportunities um, to interject or correct or, I mean, not correct like in a, um, like I'm their teacher. but I feel like, yeah, one of my compassionate actions is to, uh, I don't know, disabuse people of false notions that, you know, racism is over and it's not real or, you know, whatever. Um, so I feel like, uh, I, yeah, I would definitely look for opportunities to influence or share. Um, I don't know. I think, I don't know if I could be good friends with somebody that uh, after those efforts, they still came across as racist and insensitive. Um, So, uh, you know, I think we have an obligation and this is what I've been talking about a lot up here is, um, uh, you know, particularly how things are in our society right now and how people are being influenced. I don't think you, you can really be, Switzerland on racism right now um, and I think um, as church members I think we have a responsibility to um, like the opening scripture shares is to, you know to be one and to come together um, so I think within the church the goal needs to be to try to win each other over um, I mean, obviously, there's things in the scriptures that you do when you can't, but, um, yeah, I think um, that's what I do. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks, Mike. Let's give it up for Mike Newman for coming and sharing here and teaching us about empathy in the West Side. Thank you so much, Mike. And we will uh, end our time. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for bringing us together to learn about empathy and understand it in a deeper way. I pray that we can go out and remember that it's just not a theoretical thing that we keep in our minds, but empathy is something that we're supposed to display with our actions. And as we meet other people, we meet new people, we interact with the family believers, I pray that we can grow to be more and more empathetic. We can never um, get to a place where we've understood it completely. And by being empathetic, we are learning more about just how your son lived on this earth and more of your heart for the world. Thank you so much again for all you've done. Thank you for Mike sharing. 
and his lesson today. I pray that we don't lose sight of this and we can go out and do what we need to do to be empathetic. I love you, and I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, everyone. Have a good night. We'll see you later. All right. Good night. Good night, everybody. Love y'all. Love y'all. Love y'all. Love y'all. Bye. 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 Good night for Mary and Karen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.